0: Well, this morning we will continue on the series of the conversion of Christmas. And if you remember last week when we started talking about this subject, um, the immediate thought is to think how we might convert Christmas back to being a Christian holiday so that we might, we might think like that. But that's the very opposite of what we want to talk about, isn't it? Uh, what we want to see is how Christmas converts us. How does Christmas change us individually and even as a church So this morning, the uh, the text that we're going to look at is from Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin our reading this morning in verse 26. If you have a Bible, turn there with me. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read from God's Word together. So when you have it, please stand. Luke, as he's carried along by the Spirit of Christ, says this. In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at that saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting that might be. will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. God, we ask now that you would speak through your word to us, that you would change us by your word for your glory. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. When we think about Christmas, Christmas is, is not like every other holiday, is it? Christmas is different. Christmas is a time of, uh, where we think about birth, when we think about the birth of one significant baby. Christmas is a time when we think about rebirth. We think about change. We think about uh, our lives in reference to God. We think about transformation, even. But many times what happens is we become so busy... At this time of year, don't we? With all of the preparations, all of the visits that are going to happen in the next week, two weeks, all of the food that needs to be prepared, all the gifts that need to be purchased, even now. Right. We're on we're on the verge at this point, guys. You know who you are. <laughs> but here we, we come to this point in Christmas and there's so many things that need to be done, but we oftentimes we forget about what Christmas is all about. We forget about the purpose behind the season itself. The fact is. Christmas ought to change us. Christmas ought to alter the way that we think. It ought to change the way that we view life. It ought to change the way that we understand ourselves. It ought to transform the way we. Seek to live our life in the future. Christmas ought to convert us. It ought to alter us. And it's the truths of Christmas that really drive us into the Christian life. If it wasn't for Christmas, we wouldn't have Easter. Christmas is the beginning point for us as we begin to think about how we came to know Christ. Christmas uh, is where Christ entered into the world. One of my favorite Christmas hymns uh, is by Charles Wesley. And you all know it probably. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, It's one of the favorites at our house. We like to sing that one during the season. But the words... He says in this this one stanza, it says Christ by highest heaven adored Christ, the everlasting Lord. And I love this next part. He says veiled in flesh, the Godhead see hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king that the words that you find in that one verse you could write books on right veiled in flesh the godhead see this is what christmas is about we we, we can't just skip on by through christmas thinking that it's all about the the gift buying or the gathering around and having dinners together or all of the nice feelings that we have about the season and all these kinds of things we have to think about the theology of christmas because it's that kind of theology when we look the veil the The Godhead being veiled in flesh through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's powerful. At no point before Christ entered in the world had seen God. But here in this manger in Bethlehem, the Godhead, the triune one, the one who created the heavens and the earth. Finally, we can lay eyes upon him veiled in flesh. The Godhead see. We think about Christmas Christmas is a time of anticipation. And just as Pastor Cameron said just a moment ago, we we want to think about his first coming. We think about Advent and then we always think about that first coming. But because of that first coming, now we can look toward his second coming, his second Advent. It's a time of anticipation, a time where we ought to draw close and embrace Jesus as we find him here in the word of God. And this morning, as we continue in this topic of the conversion of Christmas. I think that we'll see. A young girl. Who's transformed. By Christmas. And I believe that as we look at this text, we also can be changed, transformed by what Christ has done in his coming. Now, when we look at this text here this morning, it probably none of us have been visited by an angel, and most likely, even if we had, that angel probably didn't share with us a message that, that was going to, through us, change the course of human history. But when we look at Mary, when she first gets this information, it's, it strikes fear into her heart. And there's significant reasons why that would happen. But all of us, maybe we don't resonate with the angelic visitor, but we all have had relationships. We've all had those moments where someone has shared a message with us and fear has struck us in the heart. Maybe it was at a doctor's office and a diagnosis that you didn't want to hear, but it struck in your heart. Just this monumental fear. Or maybe it was the boss's final reprimand about your job performance and that he was letting you go right before Christmas or right before some other event in your life. Or maybe it was the betrayal of us, whatever it would have been. All of us have experienced a moment in life or we will experience a moment in life where our hearts will be penetrated by that deep fear that doesn't go away. And we find Mary here in this same kind of situation. Look with me at verse 26 Down to verse 29, Mary in this section receives an unusual greeting. It says, Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, when we first read this, we don't automatically think, well, that's an unusual thing for someone to say to another person or especially for an angel to say to somebody. Right. Why is that? Well, most of us have probably read through the Bible. We're familiar with the stories And so when we read through this text, we don't really think, well, that's strange. Why would Gabriel say what he said to her right there? Why did he say greetings, oh, favored one? And why in the world is Mary all that concerned about that? That doesn't seem all that unusual. But for Mary hearing that for the very first time, this was very, very unusual. This was not a normal conversation that she would have had with anyone, much less an angelic visitor. But the content of his greeting, that is what seems to really trouble her. That's what seems to be really confusing, it says, or perplexing to her. Why would an angel come to see her? But more importantly, why would he address her in this way? Now, we'll look at two different passages that I think will help us have a better understanding of why Mary found this to be so troubling, because the words are very similar in these other passages. Gabriel calls her favored one. Now, let's look at that statement. He calls her favored one. Which literally means one upon whom God's grace rests. Now, this is a huge pronouncement. It doesn't mean, when we look at this passage, um, some throughout church history have have really elevated Mary as being some sort of very special person. uh, As though she was uh, head and shoulders above all of the other women in the world. And so God selected her out of all of uh, the women in the world. But this isn't the case. This is just simply God's immeasurable grace once again. He's giving his grace to someone who doesn't deserve it. God selects, from his own mercy, selects this one very young girl to bear his son into the world. He says, This is the one upon whom his grace is resting. Now this is a huge pronouncement. And Mary Lee, Mary is probably in her early teens, yet for some reason. That is unknown to her, God has chosen her out of all of the world to do this great task. Now, when we look at the scriptures, Gabriel is also found in other places. Speaking to people for God. And one of those places is in Daniel chapter nine. And Daniel, uh, Gabriel comes to him and he greets him in a very similar way. He says at the beginning, of your petitions, he's speaking to Daniel, an answer went out and I have come to give it for you are treasured by God. These are the same words. They're translated a little bit different in the English version, but the same words. You are treasured by God. Now, Gabriel's message when he's coming to Daniel, it was really good news. It was good news. The message was that God had not forgotten the people of Israel while they were in Babylon but God was going to bring them back out of exile and back into their homeland. But there was there was some of it that was a little bit more difficult to swallow. And that was that God was going to wait the 70 years. And So all the people, most of the people that had gone into exile would not remember or would not be around when they were brought back from exile. And so it was good news, but it was difficult to bear. And so when we think about Mary, maybe she's thinking about all of the stories that she had heard in the synagogue. And maybe she remembers this same angel, Gabriel, coming to Daniel in a story. And now this same Gabriel is standing before her and he's speaking to her and he says the same kinds of things that he said to Daniel in the story that she heard from the rabbi. And then she begins to think, wow, this is good news, probably, but it's going to be very difficult to bear. Something is about to be said that will be very, very difficult to swallow. But then he says, the Lord is with you. Now, if that wasn't enough, that he calls her favored one, one who is treasured by God, one who has grace placed upon your life. Now he says, the Lord is with you. And then this statement in the Old Testament is all over the place. When God is is telling someone that something very, very difficult is coming. Many times this happens right before one is taken into the battlefield. The Lord is with you. In fact, uh, the angel of the Lord comes to, to Gideon in the book of Judges and says, before he sends him out to battle against the Midianites, the Lord is with you. So here Mary is being told that she is the favored one, that God has had grace upon her. And then he says, the Lord is with you. Now imagine what she might have been feeling. Whatever is coming next is going to be hard. Whatever is coming next might as well just simply be battled. And she was right if she was thinking along those lines. But let's look at the message that Gabriel gives to her. Look there in verse 30 with me. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So let's look at the message. Gabriel begins to speak to her. Tell her a little bit about what's going to happen. The first thing is, she's going to have a son. Mary is going to have a son. Now, this would immediately be troubling for her, wouldn't it? Why? Well, she's not married. She doesn't have a husband. For her to have a son means that she's going to be pregnant out of wedlock. And in that culture, it's a little bit different than our culture. In that culture... You were stoned for that kind of offense because that would mean that she was an adulteress. Now, you might be thinking, well, maybe she could just kind of hide it out, you know, just kind of stay in the house, not let people see her. I mean, how large is this city that people would really know what's going on? Well, everybody knew what was going on with everybody's lives in Nazareth. And the reason for it is they historically the city was not very big. In fact, you probably wouldn't even call it a city. It was probably more like a village. Some estimate that maybe even just 36 home units living in that village. So everybody knows everybody's business. And so for Mary, she knew when those words came out of Gabriel's mouth, this is is not good information. This is a death sentence for me. This This is going to be very, very difficult. How in the world am I going to survive this whole ordeal? But then she's given the baby's name. She didn't have to worry about trying to figure out the name or going to, you know, www.1001babynames.com. The Lord gives it right to her. Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, we're given the reason Gabriel gives the reason that Jesus is going to be his name. He says in verse 21 of chapter one, you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The prophet Isaiah says. He gives the reason for Jesus' name in chapter 7 and verse 14 of his book. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Jesus was going to be God in flesh. God with us. Literally, that's what Emmanuel means. The apostle John in his gospel says that the word became flesh. And took up residence among us. And we observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father. Full of grace. And truth. Jesus would be his name. But then he says also. That Jesus would be called the son of the most high. Now when Gabriel. Spoke about John the Baptist. He said that he was going to be the prophet. Of the most high. But. Jesus is not simply going to be a prophet, is he? And I mean, that would be that would be good news, too, if you were going to have the prophet of the most high. But what does he say? Gabriel says, no, this this one is going to be the son of the most high God. Now that that language, that title, the most high is used in the Old Testament, but it's used in places like when Melchizedek is the the priest of the most high God. It's used when Nebuchadnezzar calls out and submits himself to the authority of the most high God. This, this, God this, this God is the one who is exalted above all of the nations. He's the God that has all authority, all power. He is the one who can do anything that he wants to because he created heaven and earth. And Jesus, this one whom this little teenage Middle Eastern girl in a podunk village is going to have as a son... He's going to be the son of the most high God. But he's also going to be the king, isn't he? He's going to have a kingdom that never ends. His his kingdom will be forever. And it's reminiscent of what the, uh, the prophet Daniel says in chapter 7. He states that as he's looking out and seeing this vision of the ancient of days, there is this one like the Son of Man who comes up to the ancient of days. And it says this about him. He was given authority to rule and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, every nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So right off, Gabriel gives her this message. Fear strikes her in the heart. But then she begins to hear who this baby is going to be. And she immediately becomes very confused. Look what he says in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how how in the world is this going to happen? How will this be since I'm a virgin? Listen to what Gabriel says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, don't you think it's really interesting and almost kind of funny Gabriel goes on and tells her who this child is going to be. I mean, that information alone should just shock the pants off of you. That's crazy. The son of God is going to be born into the world. But then immediately, it's almost as if the content of the message is minimized because she doesn't know how in the world is this going to take place? How is this going to happen? She begins to think about all of the things that are going to happen to her. The Maybe the, the, the shame that will uh, haunt her for the rest of her life. Maybe the accusations that her friends are going to make against her. Maybe the punishment that might take place. Maybe even death. But the question out at the forefront of her mind is how is this going to take place? But look at Gabriel's answer. The Lord God, He is going to be the one who fathers this child. He will be called the Holy One, this Son. And he will be separated out from humanity for God's purposes. He says, if God can do this for a barren woman. How easy would it be for God to do it for a fertile woman? And he says, with God, everything is possible. This is the most high one. This is the one who does everything for his own glory. This is the one who created heavens and earth. This is the one who does everything in human history. Mary's question. Gabriel doesn't discount it. But it's not that big of a question. Because God can do the impossible. So when we think about this text this morning. What's your question? What is the question that's on the forefront of your mind? Maybe in your life you're, you're being faced with some very difficult situations. What fear is it that is creeping up upon you? And you look at God and you're just like, how? How in the world is this going to take place? How can I endure this sickness any longer? How can I learn to be a good parent? How can I not lose my temper all the time? How can I harness uh, this lust in my heart? How can I, how can I force myself to stop taking uh, this kind of Practice seriously. How can I do this? How can I not do this? What is it that is the question that is on the forefront of your mind? And whatever the question is, whatever the fear is, whatever the difficulty is, all things are possible. Look what happens. Mary accepts the Lord's plan. Look in verse 38. He says, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, the reality of what Gabriel had told her began to sink in. Didn't it? She began to think, OK. I understand. Limitedly about how this is going to take place understand that this one that I'm going to have as a son is going to be the son of the most high God. He's going to redeem his people. He's going to be the king over all of Israel forever. And you can see that that fear, that initial anxiety about what Gabriel was saying, because she's submitting herself to the will of God, is being transformed, converted to courage. And later, just as... As Ashley saying about just a few minutes ago from the Magnificat in Luke. uh, Luke, uh, It says, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior, because he has he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his slave. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one. Has done great things for me. And his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel mindful of his mercy Just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Mary's response shows that that her fear was no longer the thing that was driving her. But she was trusting in the Lord. She was going to be the one that would bear the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Friends, this morning we can find great courage, strength. By submitting to God. And Christmas is a time where we pause, we re-examine ourselves, we we look at our lives, we we look at our priorities. And I hope that as we look toward Christmas this year, that we would be converted by Christmas, that we would be changed by Christmas, and that the message of Christ coming into the world would shock our sensibilities. And alter the way that we view life and view ourselves. Mary found courage and strength in God at a time when it would have been very easy, almost natural for her to be fearful. And friends, you can find courage and boldness to live the life that God has called you to live as a Christian. by Trusting in the gospel. The gospel that we find at Christmas. The purpose for Christmas. Well, Charles Wesley puts it this way. Hail the heaven born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn.